to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter number 11. We're going to start reading there in verse number 2. I want to preach today, when things go wrong, God is still in control. Amen. When things go wrong, God is still in control. Notice there in verse number 2. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see, a reed shaken in the wind? But what went ye out for to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. Verse number 9 says, But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verse 11 says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath none risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's stand this morning as we go to God in a word of prayer once again. I ask for your prayers for me. Uh, we have a lot of things in our family that need to be prayed about. I'm sure your family is the same way. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the opportunity just to bring God's word to these folks today. I pray you'd give me liberty. I pray you'd feed my thoughts. I pray, God, that hearts might be touched and lives might be changed. I just pray, Lord, if somebody's listening either online or here in the uh, sanctuary this morning that's not saved, God, they'd leave here a Christian. Lord, that they'd humble themselves before you and ask you to save them. Lord, you're more than willing and able to save. Your arm is long enough to save anybody. I don't care how far gone and how far down they are. Lord, you're able to save them, and we want you to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to say, first of all, it's a blessing to be a Christian. That's right. But also, this world is under a curse. Things go wrong. Plans fail. The outcome of our uh, goal sometimes isn't what we hope for. Tragedy strikes sometimes. Death even takes its toll on our families and friends. And pain is a part of everyday life. Right. Even Christianity itself isn't all that some claim it to be. Although we know we can have joy in the trials, because the Bible says that we can. And God works all things together for good to them that love the Lord and to those that are called according to His purpose. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes our faith begins to wane. And sometimes we wonder just where God is. Now, John the Baptist, he was the greatest man born of woman, God said. He was a great preacher, bold and courageous. He challenged the morals of King Herod. He pointed out his sin. I can't imagine going before a king that's living in sin and telling him that he's an adulterer. Telling him that the woman he's living with, which was his brother Philip's wife, it's not lawful for you to do that. So he came before him and told him, he said, you're not right with God. Now, I'm sure that John the Baptist didn't expect to be invited to open Congress in prayer or being invited to the White House for counsel. And in John's days, you could expect to land in prison, and he did. Also in John's day, you could expect to be killed, and that happened to him at a later date. Notice there in verse number 2, the Bible says, that when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ. I want to think about that word prison for just a moment. The prison that John was in is not like the prisons we have today. That's right. Prison was much different than today. 
Today there's air conditioning. Today you can go in illiterate. You can go to the library day after day and you can study. You can come out with a degree in education or whatever kind of degree you want to come out in. There's a weight room that you can use to exercise. Lifting weights and keeping those muscles good and strong and also uh, you can do other exercises there in, in the weight room. They have cable TV today. They didn't have that back in John's day. As a matter of fact, let me give you just a picture of what the prisons were like in the day that John the Baptist was there. They were dingy. They were dark. They were rat infested. There were nothing but a hole in the ground. You and I would look at that and say that John was put in a dungeon. That's what the prisoners were like in the days of John the Baptist. And so this is the end of the road for John. John is living his final days in what it seems like failure, embarrassment, and shame. John had lived his entire life for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. We know he surrendered at a very early age to be God's spokesman, a forerunner for the Messiah. He lived his entire life in God's will, but now he is spending his final days in prison as a laughingstock of the nation. And in fact, he's not going to get better. You won't read later that John was rescued from prison. No angel came and released him like he did Peter. No earthquake freed him like Paul and Silas was freed there in the jail at Philippi. He's going to die in this prison being beheaded by the hands of Herod. Now, Oral Roberts didn't come and say something good's going to happen to you today. That didn't happen. He didn't have Kenneth Hagin's book, Godliness is Profitable. And he didn't have Joel Osteen's book, bestseller, Your Best Life Now. He didn't have none of those things. All he knew was that his days was numbered and soon he was going to die. John's life is an example for many of us who follow in his footsteps. Notice verses 2 and 3 there. The Bible says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John is perplexed. Now don't miss the boat here, folks. John is having doubts. The greatest man, Jesus said, that ever born of woman, is having doubts. And the only thing he's done is to serve Jesus Christ all of his life. But Jesus sent the disciples with the message, go tell John, we thought he was Messiah, and if he is Messiah, should we look elsewhere? He's having doubts. Now, there was a time in John's ministry when he knew for a fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember when he was down baptizing there at the River Jordan? And Jesus came, and, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. Now, who said that? It was John. He didn't have any doubt sin. Why now? Well, everything has changed. He's not out on the river bank baptizing anymore. He's in prison. Times are tough. You ever go through tough times and begin to doubt God? We all have at one time or another. If you haven't, you will. He's used to being in better circumstances. He envisioned a better end than this. He's in the valley. No mountain is in sight for him to get on. Prison was not a part of the plan. He's probably thinking, Jesus, if you're really a Messiah, what am I doing in here? Is this part of the agenda? Is this part of the scripture? Is this really part of my life? What I'm going to spend the rest of my the last part of my life uh, locked up here in prison until they kill me? Why is it happening this way? Many believers live for God for years and years. They see Him work power in their lives and in the church. They experience some glory days. Now, maybe this fits you. In times past, you've experienced some glory days, and there have been ups and downs. You've learned to grow and roll with the punches. But through the process of time, things slow down from them spiritually. 
the excitement begins to wane. I've had people, I've been right past down rushing on. I've had people come in there and just be so thankful that they found a church that preached the Word of God. Right. And in 60 days, they were gone. You couldn't have sent the FBI out to find them. <laughs> Nobody knew where they went because they were not really sold out for God. But let me tell you, we'll have the ups and downs. And we'll have to grow and learn to roll with the punches. I'm sure that if the people that used to come here are coming here now, that little part we're going to put on wouldn't be standing room only for them. Right. Just think about that. But what's happened? They've been disillusioned. They've been disappointed. Something didn't suit them. Something was said that offended them. Yeah. And so they left because they didn't have what it takes to stick it all out. Sometimes the freshness fades. Sometimes you get a new pastor in. Well, we're sure glad to have him. By the time he nails your hide to the wall about a half a dozen times, you'll be glad to see him leave. <laughs> Their vision for God diminishes. They, they have a vision who God is. They had a vision who Jesus is, but he didn't live up to their vision. And that's what happened to the Apostle John. They've seen it all before. We've seen converts come and go. We've seen them be baptized, and we hope that they last. But do they last? Some do, and some don't. And there's nothing we can do about it. Some of those that were baptized that didn't last were never saved. They had an experience, maybe coming to an altar or whatever it may be, but they really never came to Jesus Christ. Well, I don't like the pastor. Well, you think they get the temperature right in here. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. People are disillusioned and they're disappointed. They find themselves on a downhill grade. The victories at mountaintops of yesterday don't lead all the way to heaven. The family that started out good didn't end up as they imagined. The glory days of the church were short-lived and a generation has passed and hasn't happened since and probably won't. The phrase we're in a church is, is a passing fantasy. Somebody's let you down. I tell you, people will let you down. Yes. You might as well figure on that. And I don't know if I'll ever trust anybody ever again. They grow cynical and become doubt-minded. That's exactly what happened to John the Baptist. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this, this is comforting to me. Because I know the Bible says, talked about this man of this stature, as great as John the Baptist in times of tough circumstances, in times of depression and doubts, that reminds me that Danny here, I'm normal. I'm not a spiritual freak for having these low times. If John the Baptist had doubts, you and I will go through periods of doubt. If you've been saved long at all, you can think of times you went through doubts. God's love. If you love me, why am I going through this? In December 7th of 2020, I sat beside my wife for 52 years. And I told my two granddaughters and my sister that was there that morning, I said, my will not live through the day. And they asked me, how do you know? I said, her breathing has changed. Her breathing is more labored than it has been. 10 o'clock that night, she drew her last breath. I remember looking at that monitor and I thought, this can't be happening. God, why did you let this happen? I said, I begin to have doubts. Why did you let this happen? I don't understand why she had to go. And I'd prayed for years, God let me live long enough to take care of her. I guess I figured that 15 minutes after she would die, I would die. <laughs> well, here I am. I'm, I'm standing before you. I'm not dead yet. Amen. But see, the thing about it is, God didn't live up to my expectation. I got mad at him. I'm just telling him my heart, okay? You ever been mad at God? Yeah, huh? yeah sure you have. You may not admit it, but I'm sure that you have. 
So if you love me, Lord, why did I have to go through this? Then there's God's power. My wife been sick for 22 years. God, why didn't you fix this? Right. You're all powerful. There's not anything you can't do. You can turn water into wine. You can raise the dead from the tombs. You can cure the leprosy. There's not anything that you can't do. Why didn't you do it for me? Why didn't you do it for us? Or God justice. Maybe somebody does something against you and you find it wasn't fair. Lord, are you going to let them get away with this? We want to take it into our own hands, don't we? Yeah. We'll be like Brother Joel said. We want to double up our fists and go at them. But God will take care of that. God's return. Will He return in my lifetime? I believe it's a great possibility He return in my lifetime. The thing is, I don't know how long I'm going to live. Yeah. <laughs> Can He return in my lifetime or your lifetime? Absolutely. God's man. How long will God's man make it here? My salvation. Almost all believers at one time or another have doubts about their salvation. Yeah. I've had them call me on the phone. Brother Danny, I thought I was saved, but I got up this morning, I didn't feel very saved. Hey, there's a lot of mornings I don't feel saved. Amen. I've got to go to the Bible. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things ever written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You've got to go to the Bible when you begin to have doubts about your salvation. All believers have doubts. What's your prison today? Is it financial? Are you in a, a prison of physical sickness? A prison that the families put you in, a prison of disappointment, discouragement, depression, marital conflict. And you thought, Lord, what gives? I've done all I know to do. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to serve you. I've tried to give money to your cause. I know I'm not perfect, Lord, but at least I'm trying. What are you going to do, Lord? Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Let me give you in a nutshell the reason for John's situation. John had doubts because Jesus had not lived up to his preconceived notion in John's mind of what he should be and what he should do. Same things happened to you and me. My wife was laying there in that deathbed and the doctor said she's not going to live. You come in, stay with her until she passes away, whatever you want to do. So that's what I did. But I had in my mind that God was going to raise her up from that deathbed. God didn't do that. Many of you have stood by the, the side of your loved one whether it be child or spouse or whatever, and you thought, Lord, you can, you can take us through this. You can heal them. But he chose to heal them over there, not, over, not down here. Amen. John didn't have the big picture. John had an incomplete revelation of who God was. He didn't understand that Jesus had come the first time to suffer, bleed, and die. And next time he would come and set up his kingdom. John had doubt because he didn't have the big picture. I notice the tact and, and, and tenderness that Jesus uses there in verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again these things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Amen. And Jesus knew when John heard that, he would know absolutely that Jesus was the Son of God, Amen. that he was the Messiah. So they go back and they tell John these things. And those things that I mentioned and I read there in the scripture was the very credentials that the Bible gives for the Messiah. Notice the tact that Jesus used there in verse number six. The Bible said in verse number six, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. He didn't want John to be offended. He didn't want John to be depressed. 
He didn't want John to be discouraged. He wanted John to understand this was part of God's plan. See, John didn't have the big picture. And most of the time, you and I don't have it either. I mean, when cancer comes to somebody in your family and takes them away, we don't have the big picture. I finally, after months after my first wife passed away, I finally realized, you know, Jesus could take better care of her than I did. Amen. Now, I tried to take care of her the best I could. And most people here that went to church with us here knew that. I mean, I would give anything to take care of her. And I even uh, hired a young lady this chair this morning uh, to come and help take care of her. But you see, that wasn't God's plan. No. I was to take care of her for so long, and then God was to step in. Or that accident that robbed us of a loved one. I think as I was thinking about this message, I thought of the Lakeys. They had no idea they were going to lose a son the day that he passed away. You couldn't have convinced them of that in any way, shape, or form that that was going to happen. And so we don't understand. We don't have the big picture. Or we don't have the big picture when a man of God that's used mightily falls and takes a lot of people with him. Or we don't see the big picture when there's a child that we've raised in church does a 180 and messes up their life. We don't have the big picture when the spouse abandons the other spouse and the family. We don't have the big picture. Those who think themselves spiritual try to find an answer to all of the above. Some root of sin, someone to blame. But the search for answers leads us down a dark, winding, dead-end street. We wouldn't venture down when you don't know why you trust the who. You have to trust in Jesus. Simple faith believes he's a good God. Simple faith that we should have believes that he unconditionally loves us and would never hurt us. Simple faith remembers we don't have the big picture. Now, I'm not a puzzle person. I've got some grandkids when they were small, they loved puzzles. My grandson Joshua loved the puzzle more than anything he could do. So we'd buy him puzzles. He'd take them puzzles and pour them out on the floor. And he began to put them puzzles together. I have a tendency to want to get my pocket knife out and whittle on those little pieces <laughs> and make them fit in there. Right. Now, of course, it doesn't help that I'm colorblind, okay? That doesn't help anything. But I like to whittle them down to where they'll fit. I don't know what it looks like when it gets done, but at least I have it done. There you go. I'm not a puzzle person. I can't figure out where the pieces go. We're down here on earth. We can't see the pieces. Amen. Think about this. We can't see the pieces. We think we can sometimes, but we can't. And we see pieces that are all mixed up. And someday when we stand before God, He's going to put all the pieces together. And then and only then will we see the big picture. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, the Bible says, he suffered and he died. I like that old song that talks about looking at Jesus. When you don't know the why, you trust the who. Are you having trouble today? Are you in a prison? Are you down in a valley and can't see a mountaintop? Are you in financial trouble, family trouble, health trouble, emotional trouble, doubt-minded, tired of people letting you down? Stop asking why and put your eyes back on the who. Amen. God is still on the throne. Yeah. I look at our country today and I begin to study back in the Old Testament the other day. I begin to realize that when nations begin to turn against God, God put an evil ruler over them. 
And I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't know who's going to hear this, and that don't make me any difference. I can't think of any more evil president that I've had in, since I've been alive than the one we have today. That's right. Now, we've had evil ones, don't misunderstand me. But this man, Joe Biden, is, is the epitome of evil. And could it be because we've strayed away from God? Think about that. God is still on the throne. He is still in control of our country. He's still in the affair, He's still in the control of the affairs of men and will accomplish His own good will in His time. Sometimes when things go wrong, we ask, well, God, when's it going to go right? See, Job didn't understand why trouble came his way. He feared God and shoot evil. Made daily sacrifices for his children. He lost it all. He lost his family. He lost his fortune. And he lost his physical health. But he refused to curse God and die. And what a test he went through. What a test John went through. But no greater test than you and I go through at times. Now I want to share some things with you out of Psalm chapter 119, verses 41 to 48. Psalm 119, verses, verses 41 to 48. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. For shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. Remember that phrase. I take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, but I have hoped in thy judgments. You can remember I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. I will meditate in thy statutes. Now, I want to give you four ways today that we can know that we're trusting God. When you can't see your way through, you have to trust in Him, okay? The difference of God's true work in our lives is amazing. Sometimes we as Christians are not very impressive to the world that's around us. And many times we're not very impressive to ourselves. When God does work in our hearts, then it's the greatest possible experience that you and I can enjoy. Notice verse 41 again. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. The first thing you have to be sure is that you have what God gives, not what man gives. Amen. You have to be sure you're saved. Be sure you have a no-so salvation and be sure that it came from God. Be sure some preacher didn't lay his hand on you and say, okay, you're saved. I remember preaching a revival years ago. And a young man come to the altar, and I thought maybe the pastor would come and, and pray with him, but he didn't. So I finally got down there and began to pray with him. And the preacher come and said, he's already saved. I said, he told me he was lost. If you think that don't bring friction between the pastor and the evangelist. I said, I'm going to pray with him and treat him like he's lost. That's what he said he was. That's all I know. I can't see inside his heart. Can't see inside of your heart. But the first thing to be sure is you got what God gives. Be sure it's a no-so salvation and it came from God. Paul told us to test ourselves. He said, examine yourself whether you're in the faith or not. Yes. True salvation is God's gift. Not anything you earn. Right. I want you to think about this. His mercy and His grace to us are free. Yes. I don't deserve it. According to His word, I didn't twist God's arm to save me. I didn't have to. But I claimed his promise about salvation. And that's what you have to do. I was saved on God's turn based on his promise. When you're truly saved, then you have something in your life that the world needs to hear. Notice verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. 
Where are your answers when the world scrutinizes you? Where are your answers when you, when you have questions uh, that only God can answer? Well, you go to the Word. You say, for I trust in thy Word, the Bible says. They say those people down to church are sinners just like me. That's exactly right. That's the whole essence of the gospel. Jesus said, I come to seek and save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. We all have sins, but the question is, where are they now? Where are your sins? Have you thought about that lately? Jesus says that he takes our sin and puts us deep in the sea. And that he scatters them as far as east is from the west. Where are your sins? Are you still bearing your sins? Or have you given them over to Jesus? Notice, I trust in your word. The word trust there means a confident expectation because of the promise of God. I know that you won't pull the rug out from me, Lord. It's to attach yourself firmly to something for support. God's word, number one. The Holy Spirit, number two. A good Bible teaching, preaching church, number three. I notice everybody in here is either sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair. None of you are putting part of your body in the chair and standing on the rest of it. It's like the guy that was carrying a 100-pound sack of feed home one day, and the neighbor come by and said, well, get in here. That feed's got to be getting heavy. And so the guy got in, but when he got in, he put the feed on his lap. And the fellow said, what are you doing that for? Oh, he said, I, he said, I don't mind you carrying me home, but I don't want you carrying the feed home. <laughs> See how stupid that sounds? What how stupid God thinks we are. We need to attach ourselves firmly to the Word of God, to the Holy Spirit, to the church. Put all of our weight upon God. Cast your care upon me, he says. Cast your cares upon me. I come home and have something to eat. And I don't know about you, brother, but I look at that recliner. I can hear it calling. Danny, come unto me. Come unto me. Now I get over in that recliner. And it's no, not long till I'm passed out. I put all my, I, I just sit down on it and pull that little lever and the thing goes back. And the day's over. Don't need anything out of me. You better get out of me before I get in that, in that chair. I don't just say, well, you know, I can't put all my weight in this chair. If I couldn't do that, I'd throw it out the door. Same way with God. Put your weight upon him. I'll give you four ways we know we're trusting God, and then we'll let you go. Verse number 43 says, Take not the word of truth early out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. How do you wait on God? Do you wait on God doubting? Hmm? Maybe you've been praying for an answer. Maybe some young man in here has been praying for an answer about going into ministry, preaching the word of God. Do you doubt? Do we get bitter? Are we angry? When we are truly trusting God, then our faith will demonstrate itself through our choice of words. What would you have said if you were Noah pounding a nail into the ark? He worked on that thing for 120 years. 120 years. About 30 days, I'd have said, Lord, is this thing about to end? My arm is wore out. Are we ever going to run out of nails? How about Joseph counting the prison bars? He's in prison. He hasn't done a thing in the world wrong. He ran from Potiphar's wife and left his coat there. I think she probably pulled it off of him as he left. And he's in prison. 
counting the bars. Lord, how long am I going to count these bars? I have nothing to do in this prison but count the bars. And then David looking for rocks. Now, if David had been in this country, he found a lot of rocks. He was looking for special rocks, smooth rocks. No smooth rocks in Missouri. They're all got jagged edges. Yeah. What would you, what about, if you were him, what would you be doing? He was looking for five smooth rocks. But yet we're all inspired with our faith in spite of the circumstances of these men. Proper waiting brings a greater capacity for service. So I asked me one time, I said, what school did you go to? I said, I went to two, two schools. The school of trials and the school of hard knocks. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. First of all, the way we wait. Secondly, the way we walk. Verse 44 and 45, So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Waiting is not meant to be a time we do nothing. Now, sometimes you have a doctor's appointment. They say you got to have, have, you're supposed to be there. Your appointment's at 9, but they say, I want you at 845. The appointment's not at 9 if they want me there at 845. Okay, I'm not an idiot. So you get there at 845, and they check you in, and you go sit down. 9 o'clock comes and goes. 915 comes and goes. 930 comes and goes. 945 comes and goes. 10 o'clock, Danny Douglas. And she says, and how are you today? I said, I'm more out and I'm mad. Like I didn't have nothing I could be doing at home. But I'm here waiting on you. That's not, that's not what we do when we wait on God. When the doctor's waiting room, time drags on and on and on. But every moment while we're waiting on God is a moment to prepare for the next thing in God's plan. I have a young man come to me and say, I think I've got a call to preach. I said, no, you've got a call to prepare. You're not going to preach unless you're willing to prepare. It's a call to study. It's a call to learn. A call to prepare for the preaching ministry that God wants you to have. See, once again, we don't see the big picture. Then we don't understand the small parts. Faith means leaving the picture as big picture as God's concerned. My part is continual obedience. What is continual obedience? Literally, obey without interruption. Then there's a way we witness. Verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies. The Bible says I will speak of my testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. As I think about that verse, some people in the Bible come to my mind. The Apostle Paul came before a king. He wasn't ashamed. Daniel. Nehemiah. Joseph. Let's put a woman in that mix there. Esther came before the king. He could have had her, he could have had her throat cut. Right. Even though she was the queen. Who do you see in our day like this? Somebody willing to tell it like it is, take a stand regardless of the cost. I think we have a pastor that does that. I really do. And I'd say it if he was here and he's not here and I'll still say it. We have a pastor that tells us. Somebody asked me one time, said, did you try to come to church here because he's your cousin? No. I said, I started coming to church here because he preaches the word of God. Amen. I will not go to a church and sit for a few Sundays, Sunday after Sunday, and listen to somebody that's not preaching God's word. Amen. I just won't do it. Family or no family. So that's who I see. 
Now, what is your testimony? What have you done? You say, well, I've gone to church. I haven't robbed my neighbor. I haven't committed adultery, as far as I know. Or what, what has God done for you? Speak of your testimonies. And then, number four, the way we worship. Verse 47, I would delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commands, commandments, which I have loved. I will meditate in thy statutes. What do you get excited about? Now, I really wish that my family meeting would have been some other day besides yesterday. We went, we had a good time, enjoyed seeing my daughter, her husband, enjoyed seeing my grandkids, enjoyed seeing my great-grandkids holding those three new ones. They just love me to death. Of course, I don't care much about them. You can tell that. <laughs> but what's the list of things that you really get excited about? Well, I think family ought to be one of them. I'll be excited about our family. Some of you may be excited about NFL football. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. Honest for God. I wouldn't walk across the street to watch them. That's right. When they took their knee Amen. and would not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem, right. I was done with them. That's right. And I'd tell them that today. Absolutely. Some of you say, well, I get excited about my favorite show. Really? That's what you get excited about? I can understand a tax rebate, <laughs> but not your favorite show. Where is knowing God's will on that list? Notice verse 47 talks about delight. The word delight means to have an intense emotion towards. The Bible says there, they delight in the Lord. An intense emotion towards the Lord. What happens is we come here, we worship on the inside, and it shows up on the outside. I like to stand back and I look around and watch people as they worship the Lord. People have different ways. Some people are quiet. Some people are more loud, loud and some people, you wonder if they have a pulse beating or not. <laughs> but you just hope they do because you don't have to carry them out of here. But when things go wrong, God is still in control. Yeah. And I want to say to you young people, you may not think things are going to go wrong in your life, but they will. Things will go wrong. You're going to stand back and say, God, why? Yep. Why yep. did this have to happen? You're, maybe your mom or dad's going to pass away. You're not going to understand it. Both of mine are gone. Both of Ramona's are gone. Her father and mother are both gone. And you stand back and you say, why, Lord? Why? Your wife or husband dies and your children begin to pass away. I can't imagine what it would be like to give up a child. I just can't imagine what it would be like. But some of you could fill me in pretty quickly on what it's like to lose a child. But when things go wrong, God is still in control. Amen. I know what we do. We ask, God, where are you at? Where are you at, God? Somebody asked, lost a child and asked the preacher one day, said, where was God when my child died? He said he was in the same place he was when his child died. Yep. Think about that. Yep. He, didn't want, he didn't want his son to go to the cross. We knew he had to. He knew that, that had to happen for you and I to be saved. So, where's God's will on your list? I think that would be number one. I often said I couldn't love my wife like I should unless I love Jesus first. Amen. 
and then my family, then my church family, and fill on down the list, however you want to fill it out. If the NFL excites you, more power to you. Don't excite me a bit. But Jesus is exciting. He's exciting. Let's stand this, this morning.